Welcome to Saints Cast, a football podcast brought to you by Southam United. Join us for an in-depth look into club, league, supporters, and everything you want to know on and off the pitch. We're getting the information straight from those who know it best. I'm Rian Tilly, and I'm here with Brandon Hallmark. And this week on the podcast, we're going to talk to the goalkeeper of Southam United. I'm actually going to hand it over to Brandon, and he's going to introduce our guest this week. So yeah, as Rian said on the show this week is Eddie Caviezel-Cox. Uh, native of uh, Switzerland, but also now lives uh, in in Leamington. Soon, not here. Um, he's the man that stands behind the back four. He screams and shouts at us, assaults the goalposts, um, and gives us all a really hard time. But he's a great bloke, and we're looking forward to hearing what he's got to say today. So, welcome, Coxie. Thank you. Uh, how are you, babe? All right. Good. Thank you. Yeah, doing all right. How Good. are you? Good. Yeah, not too bad. Excited, excited to to be doing this. It's all very exciting. Everything that's going on behind the scenes of the club at the moment. So. So thank you for having me and uh, let me be a part of this. No worries. Let's get to spilling the tea. Let's do it. (laughs) First, let's kind of, let's update everybody. How how have you been getting on with lockdown and things being away from football at the moment? Do you know what? I think lockdown, uh, aside from obviously it being a bit rubbish without playing football, um, for me on a personal level, has actually been really, really useful. Um, And I can't sort of hide away from from that fact. I think Brandon sort of alluded to it. Um, My girlfriend and I are lucky enough to sort of save up enough to, put a deposit down on a house. Um, so that's pretty much what lockdown's been. I'm lucky enough to still have a job, still be healthy and happy. So I suppose that's that's all we can really be grateful for at, at the moment. Yeah, nice. absolutely. A little a little time away is sometimes useful, I think. So that's that's good. Massively. And it's, it's you know, at the time of recording, we're, what, a day away from being able to play football again. So I, I'm not going to lie. I feel like a kid on Christmas Eve, really, really <laughs> excited to get back tomorrow and, and finally play again. Yeah, that's I was going to ask you too about that. That's got to be, I know that you've got a little bit of time away yeah. yet, but that's got to be a pretty good feeling knowing that like you're here now, that the it's not such a up in the air situation anymore. You know, you're getting back to it tomorrow. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> a very long time It's coming. nice to have that closure though, isn't it, Coxie? We know that, you know, tomorrow football's back and we don't have to wait on the decision of anybody. And actually people can just start cracking on and we can get stuck in. Yeah. No, no, straight, straight back to it. Um, Hopefully everyone's kept fit because otherwise there'll be a few uh, <laughs> a few sore hammies. <laughs> there'll be some people getting found out on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> I just stand there, so I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's kind of get into the football side of things. Um, so I know we've had a little bit of a conversation before this, and I find this very interesting. But you started out as a rugby player. Um, you played. It sounds like a lot of different sports. But what was the transition like between rugby and football? How did you get involved in football from playing rugby? Um, so as as a kid, um, all sort of my parents encouraged me to get involved as much as possible. Um, so pretty much Thursday through to Sunday, every night and every morning, we were we were busy doing something, whether that be rugby, cricket, like the local youth club in my village, uh, just everything uh, really. And then um, one Sunday, uh, up at the up at the rugby club when I was sort of about seven or eight, one of the, the the guys' parents just said, "Do you fancy coming and, and playing football for us?" Um, over in in the village near where I live and uh, yeah the rest is history so I did that when I was about eight nine and then um, sort of gave up the other sports pretty fairly quickly after that really. That's cool man so did they kind of clock that you would be good with your hands and put you in goal straight away or did you kind of because your distribution with your feet is very good did you play outfield to start with? They probably just realised that I was never you know, hard enough to be a rugby player on too much of a <laughs> too much of a worse to play rugby. So uh, too soft. Uh, get me over to football straight away. Um, Where did they put you on the rugby pitch? Were you on the wing? Uh, yeah, I was out yeah. on the wing, um, nice. away from all the action, which was nice. Did so? Did you prefer that position when you got into it? I mean, did you always kind of want to be there as as a goalkeeper then? No, so so I actually started out as a as a striker um, in my like local local village club, um, and then how I got into goalkeeping was just to kick around with my brother in my nan's garden. Um, <laughs> basically we just sort of swapped positions and he could welly it really hard. And I sort of just, I mean, I didn't stop anything, but I quite enjoyed just throwing myself about and getting really muddy. And then um, as of that day, I'd, I'd asked my coach whether I could go play in goal and they said yes. And, and the rest is history. I think not many people volunteer to be goalkeepers. So uh, they, <laughs> they jumped it really. Yeah. Uh, you were, so as a junior player, you're involved in a lot of, uh, well, a few different clubs, uh, Deddington, Coventry City, Birmingham City, Northampton Town, just to name a couple of them. What, what was that experience like as a junior player? 
Yeah, so I, I think when I first started playing football, um, I was was lucky enough to, to, as you say, play for a lot of different clubs. Um, so the sort of first sort of three, four years of playing football from about eight to about 12, I played for Deddington. Then I went to Birmingham, which was a you know a really sort of good academy set up. Um, got released from there because it wasn't, wasn't sort of good enough at the time, really. Uh, then I went to Coventry and again, didn't quite cut the mustard there and then dropped down in terms of like academy levels, but was lucky enough to play most of my sort of junior football at Northampton, which was, you know, a, a really good centre of excellence. And it was nice that I was able to sort of train there twice a week and get shipped around the country by my parents. So unlike we know football is a very cutthroat business, what what were the reasons? Did they ever actually sit you down and say, look, this is why we've released you um, and give you some really honest, helpful feedback? Or was it very much, see you later, you're not part of this squad anymore? Was there any That's- kind of aftercare? with that yeah yeah definitely so so Northampton were really really good with me they because I I got cut off at 16 so I was lucky enough not to actually go into the full-time sort of side of it when 17 and 18 and a lot of lads do go in 17 18 full-time yeah and then get cut and and from what I hear that sounds like dreadful I was never big enough um in terms of your height yeah I I like to use it as an excuse I was never going to be good enough so I think I, I was lucky enough to get released at that age um, and then, you know, be able to go and do a really good education elsewhere mm-hmm. um, and still play football and enjoy it. Because I think if, you know, a lot of lads were hanging on to that dream kind of thing. And if I had hung on to that dream, I think it would have been a lot more damaging for me. I still enjoy football and I still have a good time. Quality. And you talk about your education. You, what, you went to a proper sports college, didn't you? Where was that? Uh, I went to Hartbury College down in Gloucester. Um, so I think anyone that's sort of been there will, will tell you it, it's as good as like a sort of professional setup there's a lot of investment and money that goes into it and as what was quite a bang average footballer I was extremely lucky to be exposed to that you talk um, very modestly Coxie you're like easily the best keeper in the league um if not the leagues above so but um yeah I think Hartbury has got a massive kind of reputation hasn't it almost yeah. like Loughborough Uni for having the excellent facilities and producing really good high quality athletes so that's obviously stood you in some good stead for yeah. for your football career it's excellent yeah, I was lucky enough to, to go to them both, really. And, and I think the, the, the key thing is that whilst I, whilst I was there, obviously I put all my time and effort into the football side of things. So going to the gyms that were brilliant, you know, doing all the coaching, the S&C, um, getting all the massages and everything, basically making use of what was there. But in the meanwhile, I was really lucky to get a really good education and, and come out the other side of it with, you know, good A-levels and a good degree. So um, nice. best of both worlds, really. Yeah, nice. that sounds great. Uh, after after you kind of played for those teams, um, you you were looking for a senior team to play for. You played for a couple of teams. Um, I'll let you go into that a little bit, the, the teams that you did play for. But what what were the motivations behind those moves? I know that sometimes it's not up to you, um, but but sometimes it is. Um, what what were the what were the reasons behind those moves, and and kind of how did those develop you into the player that you are? Uh, yeah, so. The, the first sort of exposure I had of men's football, um, I was really, really lucky to be at quite a high level of non-league and, and I wasn't playing, but just to get exposure to the level was really good. So I was with Leamington at the sort of top end of the Southern Prem. They're now the Conference North, so they play against a lot of sort of full-time teams. Um, and just that year there was really good to get in and around what is a completely different environment um, mm-hmm. in men's football. Um, everything sort of means a lot more um there's a lot of people that come and watch and, and really care about it um so you know I, I was lucky enough not to play there <laughs> um because I think I would have been absolutely sort of bullied and, and probably killed off kind of thing uh so what they did is they sent me out to racing club Warwick which is a, a really good local club um who are doing really well in non-league now I think um and that was my first proper season of playing men's football in, in the Midland League which is uh I mean, Brandon will tell you it's a difficult league. Um, it's just full of really good players and some really, really big, strong players. So it was a bit of a baptism of fire for me. Um, and then uh, it got a little bit sort of political towards the back end of the season with the manager being sacked. And um, there was a few changes at the club. And I this sort of coincided with me moving up to Loughborough. So what I did then was go play more locally and to uni. 
so I went and played for Aylston Park in Leicester, which was in the East Midlands League, uh, which again was a really, really good league and had a really good year there. Um, I was lucky enough just to play every single game and not have the worry of, I say not have the worry, not really have to, to care about the, competition. The less pressure, yeah. There. We yeah, you. less pressure. And I could just turn up and enjoy football and I properly sort of started to fall back in love with football again when I was there. Um, and that balance is a, really important, isn't it? So yes, you've got the competition, you've got the professionalism, but actually if you're not enjoying it, those three points mean absolutely nothing to you. And I think that 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 baptism of fire that you talk about, that, that exposure, that's a really good blend with the fact that you joined a team that you enjoyed and, and ultimately kept you love for the game. So that's really nice. Yeah, and I think I'm sort of in the same same boat um, now with Salvan, is that when I left Aylston, I moved back home and I went and played for Brackley Saints and I had a really, really good time there. Um, but I just didn't sort of cut the mustard and I was ending up sitting on the bench every week. So um, I, I went out on like, what is it, alone just to go and help out various teams. So teams like GMP, Rugby Borough, but just for a game here and there. And when really well, you every Monday, you need yeah, no, no, no. I think, I, you need I think a home. <laughs> everyone deserves to sort of play every week. Yeah, um, of course. But, you know, you're waking up on a Monday with not really looking forward to the Saturday because you know you're just going to sit there. And at the end of the day, no matter what level of football you're playing, you just want to play. Correct. And that, um, and that, and that fits in nicely to what I said in, in my podcast last week about actually Southam's become a bit of a, almost like a get out and a rescue for a lot of us. Like we were a bit like stray dogs, weren't we? And Southam came along as our proverbial dogs trust and gave us a, a club to play for and actually a, an excellent facility and a, and a good league to come and come and almost have a, have a bit of a rebirth, a renaissance of football. And that's been really nice for us all, don't you think? Massively. Yeah, I think that was the sort of main main pull of, of Salvam, aside from the facilities and aside from everything that's been going on to get the club going. Just the fact that every Tuesday and Saturday you can come and play football with what has luckily been a really good group of lads and a really good group of mates um, for the last uh, two, three years. So, yeah, yeah couldn't, definitely. Couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. Nice. <laughs> Uh, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, um, and I find it very interesting, the fact that there is a little bit of favoritism and that's something that you, you sort of experienced. Uh, and it's, I think it's quite a interesting and unique thing to goalkeepers, isn't it? That you're obviously training together as goalkeepers, but only one of you is going to start each weekend or, or whenever it is you're playing. Is that, and I know that there's probably part of that you have to be careful because you obviously want to be playing and you said that you, you both said that, that it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's hard to wake up and, and, and get the joy out of it. If you're not playing it, obviously you want to be doing that, but what's that kind of balance like of, you know, there's, there's only one of you is going to start. How do you not rock the boat? How do you not dis- disrupt a team environment? <laughs> it is a really weird thing. Um, because in theory, the person you're training with, who's probably starting ahead of you, you should absolutely sort of, hate their guts because they've got everything that you haven't got but there's a thing called and you've probably heard it loads and whatever level of football you're at everyone knows about this goalkeepers union um you're just mates with them because they're playing the same position as you and as much as you want to be playing with them you know exactly what they're going through because it can be very lonely it can be very daunting um and i think if you if you're mature enough to put everything aside at the end of the day if you're training well and pushing the starting goalkeeper hard that's only going to benefit the club that you are actually playing for so just sort of got to sacrifice your, your, yourself for the bigger picture really but um but yeah it, it is difficult I can't lie um there's a there's always a little part of you that wants to sort of slip up kind of thing um, just so you can get your opportunity <laughs> you're quite fortunate aren't you at Salvin though that you, you are a bit of a lone wolf when it comes to being being in the sticks there's no one really fighting for you there's no we haven't really got a second keeper anymore have we I know we had a young Alex at the at the start of last season but um obviously it's just you now is do you find that you've ever got complacent that there's no one chasing your shirt or do you just always you try and what? play your best anyway I think I think for me I just relax a little bit more because I think we're at a level where you play your better football when you're enjoying it and put have a smile on your face um and I completely appreciate that competition does usually get the best out of people but for me um I sort of would rather just know that I've got the backing of everyone around me so I can go out and do what I want to do and go out and play how I want to play because that's for me when I play a little bit better I think um I've been in in clubs where I've had I've been the number one goalkeeper and we've had a number two um 
and you just always a little bit too nervous to you know take that extra risk or you know play that short pass or that that sort of thing or come for that cross kind of thing and it it, it puts me on edge a little bit um but i know in in, in other ways it, you know for other goalkeepers as well it competition helps massively i've witnessed firsthand that you you definitely play better when you drop your shoulders and you're relaxed and you, and you give yourself yeah, a yard and, and you chill out so that's that's interesting to hear that that's probably the reason behind that yeah there seems to be kind of a we you guys talked about this actually earlier but there seems to be kind of a, a stature thing when it comes to goalkeeping you talked about your height or, <laughs> or you know things like that uh it must be interesting for young players growing up knowing that they're a good goalkeeper and I know we've we kind of in our emails back and forth we you know you mentioned some of this but knowing you're a good goalkeeper but you're probably never going to be the same physical size as those who are excelling in the position is that is that something you kind of realize as as a younger player growing up or do you think it's just you know you're told it by by coaches or or you, you just kind of come to realize it as you grow older it must be frustrating uh, because it's something that's completely out of your control yeah 100 percent yeah, cheers, mum. Cheers, dad. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's um, it's something that you you're fully aware of, and especially over the last sort of ten years, it's become more and more apparent. Um, I've you know I think everyone's heard stories of lads who go to academies now and they get all their measurements and stuff tested, and if they're not going to be able to six foot by the time they're sixteen, then they get released. Now I don't know how true it is, but it genuinely does seem that cutthroat. You won't see a goalkeeper in an academy sort of up to under 18s that is under six foot now um and you certainly say you can taller than that coxie wouldn't you i'd say yes yeah, if you look at foot. premier league other than your, yeah. your jordan pickford is a bit of an anomaly we're talking six three six four mm. yeah and it, like, it, which mean even i would be too short at six two so i can i yeah, feel for you really. guy, yeah yeah it's, it's it's weird but i mean it's one of those things when you you're young you always just think oh not me not me it won't apply to me or oh, i'll grow i'll grow i'll be fine and then you don't and um I was at this height when I was about 16, 17, so I haven't grown. Yeah, because it must it must be difficult, right? Because like the first time I saw Southern play, I think we discussed this. Mm-hmm. I said, and I'm always very interested in goalkeepers because that's one of the reasons I started watching football. But I could tell right away that you're a fantastic goalkeeper. And we and I said this to you and we mm-hmm. we kind of had that discussion. But kind of what you're saying is you you almost weren't given a chance because of because of the height but you're very obviously a very good goalkeeper let's get it right you're not a complete dwarf no no absolutely not just yeah for listeners that don't know you coxie you've got to be what five ten five nine uh five nine i'll take five ten take the half inch for the the studs yeah yeah definitely not definitely not short by any means but but from you know when you when you look at goalkeepers like you like you were saying it's they are very very tall and that's just part of it isn't it yeah, um, yeah, and I, I think there's so many people that want to be footballers and so many people that want to be goalkeepers nowadays that really clubs and academies have got the pick of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's filter have, one, isn't it? Filter one yeah. is height, and then you sieve out the, the shorties like you. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> They've got that, got that luxury now. I'm joking, really, but so, I mean, yeah. any, any scout would only have to watch you play to see how, how agile you are and how quickly Absolutely. you get across the goal. Because I think sometimes... It's a bit of a catch twenty two, isn't it? When you're six foot four, naturally you're not as agile as someone that is five nine, and that 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 can almost be more beneficial. And that's I think why we notice during games you're very very good when strikers are in the six yard box, eighteen yard box when it comes to your reaction saves. And I don't think a six foot three, six foot four striker is making those saves. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know whether they, I think a lot of goalkeeper coaches would say the same thing. Um, I mean, obviously, I can't speak for any go- for every goalkeeper coach, but I'm sure a lot of goalkeeper coaches would want to coach uh, a shorter goalkeeper, probably because you can get more out of them in terms of development points. You're right. You know, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of brilliant tall goalkeepers, and they're the ones that are pro, and I'm the one that's not. But <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're right in the sense that sometimes they they aren't as quick or they aren't as agile. Um, but it's just a part of football, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of some of the difficulties, obviously, that you've you've come across in your career so far. But kind of move on to some of the successes. Um, you played for a lot of academies, and you've you said you played alongside some successful players who've gone on to be successful. What's that like? Like, what's what's that experience like? Seeing them kind of um, excelling on almost kind of the world stage. Some of these, right? Do we need to give I the think... listeners a kind of name drop alert? Here? <laughs> um, well, I played against Rashford. Um, I As think if. We... <laughs> We, we lost like 16 nil, I think. Stop. Playing against, oh, wow. playing against Man U. Yeah, That's yeah I was so in cool. goal. 
That's um, so cool. But I think at the time you just sort of appreciate them, even though they're like you sort of 14, 15, you just look at these kids and you think, like oh, you're you're good. Mm. You're gonna do something. He's got a bit. <laughs> yeah, he's got a bit. Um I was lucky enough to play with a lad who's now playing for Copenhagen. Um and you just appreciate them. You just sort of look at them and think you're you can do so much. So it's it's really, really cool to have done that. Um it's something I definitely am really grateful for growing up, playing with some really good players and playing at some really cool places as well. Um I was lucky enough to play for academies and that took you to some really wicked places like yeah. places that a lot of people haven't got to go and I'm really grateful for that. And it, it teaches you things outside of football as well, doesn't it? It teaches you how to meet people that are in positions of power and how to hold conversations with you know, professional people. And I think that's probably stood you in, in a very good position when it comes to your, your current professional life, um, how you communicate with people. And I think that actually there is more to academy football than football and it teaches you really, really important life skills. And that's something that I, I try and talk to my students at school about. So it'd be interesting to hear if you think that your time at the academy has actually helped you in your life outside of football as well, even though that's no longer a part of your life. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know whether, because obviously I got released at quite a young age relatively. I don't know but whether a very that... important age in terms of your maturity as a, as a man, isn't it? Yeah, I think the, the sort of years 16 to 17, so when I went down to, to college at Hartbury and then obviously when I went on to Loughborough, um, having that balance of of being really driven and being involved in football because football does develop your social skills a lot. 100%. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to combine the both with the education, which you, you're right, does benefit me massively in my in my uh, professional life now. Mm-hmm. Nice. So like, if we come away from that then and we talk about you as a goalkeeper in the sticks, do you think it takes like a certain characteristic within someone to be a goalkeeper? There's so you've got to be a, weird. Bit of a, yeah, you've got to be a psychopath, <laughs> haven't you? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, you've got to be weird. There's, there's got to be something not quite right in every goalkeeper, whether it's just on the pitch that they get really weird or often on the pitch that they get really weird. There's no goalkeeper that's just normal. I'd like to think that I'm quite calm and relaxed off the pitch, but then I get on a pitch and I'm just... I don't like myself really. <laughs> look, look, at, look at myself. Man possessed. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, there's, you know, I think the famous saying is you've got to be mad to be a goalkeeper. Um, I couldn't agree more, really. You've got to have a screw loose. I don't know whether it actually affects the way you play, but it just seems to be odd, probably because you stood there on your own the whole time. Yeah, I was going to ask, is, are you crazy, a little, a little bit crazy, and that's why you become a goalkeeper? Or is it what, like, the training you go through and kind of the experiences you have as a goalkeeper that kind of turn you a little bit I don't know I don't know it's a really good question I've never really thought about (laughs) to contextualize that though Cox like we're talking it's winter middle of February and it's (laughs) snowing and you're stood there in shorts and t-shirt I reckon that's made you into like a hardened SAS type footballer nut job (laughs) I don't know if I'm ever going to be as fit or as strong as an SAS person but I I think you definitely um yeah it's definitely odd to to convince yourself that you're enjoying it I think we've been involved in a game like away on a Tuesday night and we've won about seven or eight nil and it's been chucking it down with rain and I haven't touched the ball yet for some reason you know I'm having the time of my life uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I yeah I don't think psycho- like psychological trauma going on there <laughs> yeah I, I, exactly. I feel sorry for your poor mum as well he must have been through boxes and boxes of Persil washing your shorts uh, <laughs> oh, rolling yeah. around the mud in the middle of the <laughs> yeah no I know I know you do get really filthy um, yeah but you're actually fortunate, aren't you, to be the only sponsored athlete at Southam. So to, you actually get free gloves, which is uh, very much to the, uh, the, the the envy of the other players. Um, so talk to us about your little glove sponsor. Um, so, yeah, I suppose, first of all, shout out Pulse GK. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the gloves. They're wicked. Um, so, yeah, uh, the club, one of the really cool things about the club is that they had a link with uh, an independent goalkeeper glove company. Um, and to be fair, a lot of clubs do this now um, and, and Salvam's no different in that what they do is they just buy all their goalkeepers gloves I think because you go through so many in a season especially when we trained on that AstroTurf um, you're going through sort of six seven pairs a season uh, and they can get quite expensive so it's yeah because you've got that to buy and boots yeah mm. I, c- I can't afford to keep getting <laughs> gloves and boots and gloves and boots all, all season so yeah I'm, I'm I'm glad that Southam have done that for me and it's something I'm very, very grateful for, definitely. 
What are the best parts of being a goalkeeper compared to outfield positions? Like, are you are you the one on the pitch probably having the most fun? I don't, I don't know if I speak for every goalkeeper here. Um, there's obviously the opportunity to be a hero, um, which, you know, we, we had a penalty shootout and, and won it, and that was really good fun. And you do feel like, you know, you've you've done something for, for the team and that, that's really positive. Um, there's also games where you get absolutely battered, but you might nick a one-niller. Uh, and you would not have won that game if you didn't play so well. So they're, they're sort of two quite cool things. Um, I think for me, one of the nicest things that's sort of come over the last couple of years is just being reassuring for the people in front of you. Um, I don't know if that speaks for every goalkeeper. I'm sure a lot of goalkeepers do like the glory because it doesn't come around so often. But I just quite enjoy going out on a Saturday or a Tuesday and knowing that the people in front of me can play how they want to play because they're so relaxed because they know that they're okay behind them. Um, I don't know if that sort of comes across quite arrogant. No, but... I, I can I can vouch for that. I've obviously played directly in front of you and I I, I feel like we can, uh, I, ultimately you're, the whole way that your team can, and we saw this with England the other night, if you have a goalie that's good with the ball at their feet, it changes the entire shape of the football team. So if because you're good with your feet, me and the other lads in the back four are able to be 20 yards, 25 yards further at the pitch because we know we haven't got to cover 25 yards of space behind us. So we saw that with England, didn't we, against Albania with Nick Pope in goal, who is not naturally as good with his feet as um, Pickford. And you actually saw the whole back four drop almost onto the edge of their own 18-yard box. Mm. And because you're capable of using your feet, it changes our whole footballing dynamic. So keep up with the footwork. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird one, actually. It's, it's quite a, a good point. Um, like... You're right, the modern game, especially if you look at the top-level goalkeepers now, they are evolving. Nick Pope, I reckon, if he came through 10, 15 years ago, probably would have been arguably one of the best keepers England's ever had because he's massive. He can stop shots for fun. He comes out for every cross. And 10, 15 years ago, that is what you needed to do and only needed to do. And I still think it's the primary focus of a goalkeeper to stop the ball going in the net. Absolutely. Obviously, there's a lot more to do with with playing out now. which is arguably why he, he probably won't start at the Euros, I don't think. Is it a difficult position to grow at at this level? Like, like what's the training process for you? Like, do you feel that you get the, the, the coaching, the attention that you need to be able to, to grow? Yeah, it de- depends on the club, really. Um, depends on the club. And, and, and um, I was lucky enough to have Christoph, who was a brilliant, brilliant coach. Um, and I'm really looking forward to meeting uh, Matt Jones tomorrow. Um, so... Hopefully, you know, our relationship will be really good and we can, we can work really hard together. I think the the biggest education in football for a goalkeeper is playing every week because non-league football is so different to any other football, uh, especially junior football. Junior football, it's it's very unphysical. Uh, there's a lot of technically gifted players that play the ball on the floor and, and, and even at sort of quite a low level, it's not very physical. Um, and that goes all the way up to the top level. But when you hit non-league, Everything changes. Um, I remember my first game for Warwick. Uh, we played in the heart of the Black Country, and within about thirty seconds, I was on. I was on my ass, completely wiped out. Um, <laughs> got completely nailed, and, and the bloke looked at me and obviously saw that I was a kid. Just said, "Welcome to men's football." Um, and it's it, it's just so much more physical, um, and you've got to cope with so many different kinds of players and, and styles of play as well like Brandon will say um, in non-league you tend to deal with a lot more sort of direct players and it, it is an education so playing every week is probably a lot more um, useful for your development than than training I would argue. And you yeah. can really see can't you? you can see the players that have played non-league for a while compared to the ones that have recently come up from youth purely because yeah. of the, the stature more than anything they're, they're not scared of a challenge or a header or, or sticking their face in front of something because actually welcome to the christening of non-league football Here yeah you, are. And, and, you know when you you also turn up beforehand and everyone's in their tracksuits and on checking out the pitch you know the people that you don't want to play against are the ones that do not look like they should be near a football pitch <laughs> like the people that just don't look like footballers at all because you know they've probably been around for sort of 10 15 yeah, years dangerous um do you remember we played against tame and they had that little short chubby bloke who was just unbelievable his touch was immaculate yeah it's this yeah, hit the was... crossbar from the halfway line didn't it? <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah. and they're the ones um, that catch you out they're the ones that the ball absolutely just sticks to like glue because they've yeah. played football for 37 years and just just absolutely <laughs> have been let down by carling 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when it when it comes to goalkeeping, obviously you deal with the goals and the gaffes and all those things. Both are kind of always under the microscope. Does it add a lot of pressure? And how do you personally deal with that? Yeah, anyone that's ever played in goal would lie if they say they don't get nervous about making mistakes or don't have that slight bit of angst about making a mistake because ultimately it lets down the 10 people in front of you, the 10 people that have turned up to play with you and the 10 people that are going to turn up to play with you every week kind of thing. So yes, making a mistake usually leads to a goal and that is massive, uh, massive pressure. Um, I think most coaches and most goalkeepers try to alleviate that by just the plain and simple fact that it's got to go past 10 other people before it gets to us. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. which technically would make our job redundant on the pitch, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it, it, yeah, it's it's something that we we like to think about um, when we do make a mistake is that you know other it's got to go past other people. Yeah, uh, that, I think that's a nice that's a nice comforting barrier to have, isn't it? You know, yeah, even yeah. if you've shanked one yourself into the back of the net, you could have blamed <laughs> it on any of us for oh. for not doing something in between the, you know them and us. There's games that Brandon and I have played in where I've been at fault for goals and I have just absolutely hammered people in front of yeah, me for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, I think that a few times. Mate. Yeah, just, <laughs> just call them every name under the sun and blame oh, yeah, them yeah. for absolutely nothing. A certain um, um, Headington Amateurs game comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we won't talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, no. oh, we, we fell out a little bit. But, um, yeah. So on the, flip side of that, on the flip side of that, what's, what's kind of your best goalkeeping moment? Oh, that's a good question. It's a great oh, question. There's not many of them, that's why. I can tell you, I can, I've got one in mind, Coxie, if you're struggling. Uh, I think one of them was when I was playing for Warwick at Bromsgrove away. Um, Bromsgrove were a really big club for the league that we were in. And I think a, a one, a, like one or two of their lads have gone on to play really, really high. And they've got a really big following because they used to be a huge club. Um, and they're on their way back up. And we drew 1-1 with them. I think we had one shot um, and we got battered. And their big sort of shed, it was a New Year's Eve, were calling me every name under the sun. I was only sort of 18, 19. And I made about 10 saves in about five minutes. And then at the end, just turned around and put my arms to the the crowd and got like sweets, (laughs) coins thrown at you. It was just just like the best feeling ever. But yeah, I think that that one sticks in my mind. The the best game I've seen you have is obviously the the cup final where we had the the penalty shootout and and you saved, I think, three out of five penalties to make sure we won. And that was a great (laughs) It's funny as well because I've I've never... Do you remember? I I hadn't actually saved penalties for Salvin before this season. And then I think I've saved like six now, five or six now. Um, But yeah. That's kind of a good segue into something that I'm very interested in. I know a lot of people are interested in is the idea of penalties uh, because it's such a, you know, it's kind of one of those things that you never, like if you're watching a team that you support, you never want it to come down to penalties or, you know, or, or a penalty in the, in the run of play or anything it like that. It's pure psychological warfare, isn't it? Yeah. Coxie? Yeah. Who's, who is the penalty worse for the keeper or the taker? Um, you'd be lying if it got to like the fourth or fifth penalty and you hadn't saved one and you just thought that, you know, at some point I've got to save one here. Um, everyone's always going to say the, the pressure's completely off off the keeper and it is to some extent, but I think internally you do expect yourself to at least save one or two in a penalty shootout. Yeah, I think a lot of outfield players would try and argue with you and say that everyone always says that a keeper should never save a penalty. There's no expectation because anyone that's played any level of football should be able to score from nine yards. Is it nine or 12 yards? I don't even know. 12. 12 yards, yeah. So that that's an, <laughs> that, that, that must be comforting knowing that actually no one's going to be fuming with you if you haven't saved any because the expectation is so low, regardless yeah. of your capabilities. Nah, yeah, um, I I agree with that. It is comforting, but I think when it gets to penalty shootout, you just want to save penalty so much that you, it is a bit, a bit, a bit weird. Considering that I can't, well, apart from this season, I, I could never save penalties before. <laughs> um, hmm. How do you gain that advantage? Do you think, like, how do you, how do you kind of get in their head when they're taking that free shot at you from twelve yards? I think the one thing that's worked for me really well is that I have just picked a side and gone with it and I know it's the most basic thing ever but even when they're walking up you just pick a side and you go with it because I've for years and years I've changed my mind I tried to read their body language um or I'd looked at highlights or or been told about where they usually go kind of thing and I just now started to ignore that so as soon as they walk up just 
tell yourself aside that you're going to dive and you dive that side. Well, ultimately, um, that, that hesitancy can be the difference between you putting your full force into diving away, can't it? You see it a lot in the in, in football where yeah. a keeper's unsure and basically just ends up falling backwards because they've gone neither way. And ultimately, yeah. Yeah. strikers yeah. are trying to put them in the corner, aren't they? So you need every yeah. every ounce of power that you've got. Yeah, I think I think you're, you're right in that. I know a lot of goalkeepers do have like mind or psych techniques and... Um, Tim Krull, for example, who plays for Norwich, is known Jersey to be really, really good. Yeah, he's really good at penalties because they just go and get in the striker's mind. Um, I, I think some goalkeepers as well try to like scuff the penalty spot. Yeah, I see. As well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just pick a side really and go over it. Nice, I like it. You're not a Jersey dude that jumps up and punches the crossbar. Does, and makes it, the does goal all of that wobble. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> waving all over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll move on to to Salvum. How did you get involved with Southam? Kind of what was that that process like, and how was it? How was the process of moving to Southam kind of similar and different from? Um, yeah, so I I was uh, at Brackley Saints, um, and for whatever reason, I just wasn't really cutting the mustard. I wasn't playing every week, um, and one of the coaches from Brackley was going to go over to Southam. Um, I didn't know that at the time, so I had left Brackley to go and play in the Midlands League again for a club called Littleton. And then I got a text off this coach who listed five or six players from Brackley Saints who were going to go over to Southam. And he said, do you want to be a part of it? He said, if you want to be a part of it, we can guarantee that you'll be the number one and you'll play every week. Um, we have got another goalkeeper here, but we'd like him to sort of coach. Um, come and look at the facilities. We're doing open training sessions every every week and uh, get was involved. That, was that Mr Kev Squirrel? That was Mr Kev Squirrel. Big up Kev huh. Squirrel. What a um, bloke. What a listening. bloke. <laughs> one of my favourite blokes in football. Um, he's, oh, he's an absolute, absolute star. Um, but yeah, it, it was really sort of simple, just a text. And, and I'd, uh, I had nothing better. I had either the option of staying and plugging around the Midlands League and the Hellenic Div 1, not really making an impact, not really settling down, or I had an opportunity, like Brandon said in his podcast last week, to sort of start again and play every week and you know, settle down with a good group of lads and, and sort of progress. And when you look at the facilities and you look at the way the club should be, you really do want to be a part of taking yeah. it forward. And there is a mood, isn't there? That, that abs- there absolutely is that intention of climbing that ladder. And I think everyone sensed that, didn't they? When we turned up at the first training session and we viewed the ground and we met people, that there was a lot of drive and a, and a mood around the place that actually everybody that was involved wanted to progress. And that got me hooked. Did you think the same? Yeah, and I think it's kept you hooked as well. Is that we, relative to the level that we're at, we've suffered a, like quite a big injustice yeah. because I think the jump, not necessarily in standard, but the jump between just facilities, grounds, like Saturdays, the whole experience from the level we're at now to the level that we should be in, is huge. Um, it's a proper sort of step into non-league, which we're all really, really desperate to get. Yeah. And I think we will. Fingers crossed. You started out with an injury when you when you came to Salbum. You you were out for three months, was it? What, what was yeah. that like? That was awful. You were it still the horrible. quickest player at Salbum. <laughs> yeah, I because I, I did it in the middle of preseason. Um, I'd literally got back from a, a minor shoulder injury, played, tore my groin, and it was a week before the season was due to start. And obviously at that time, Christoph is a very very good goalkeeper, very capable of playing at a very high standard and I just didn't want to not play so stupidly I played for three or four weeks in fact my injury probably cost us our only league defeat that we've actually ever had I was awful against uh, Easington <laughs> uh, um, we don't talk um, about that game no, we, we don't, don't talk about it uh, probably cost us two or three goals and we lost I'd agree yeah. I think it was entirely your fault <laughs> no, no. And then, it's a team and effort then, yeah. we win together we lose together and that's always been the, that's always been the message of, unless unless it's you that makes the error in which case yeah let's play <laughs> <laughs> no I agree it was, it was stupid for me to play I just wanted to keep playing because I didn't want to lose my spot um, yeah. and then a week later I just said well I, I went to a physio and she said look either you stop playing or you just tear your groin more and more and more and risk being out for longer and longer. So, um, yeah, I was out for sort of three months with that and it was really, really boring. 
Yeah, I know the feeling at the minute. So boring. Um, what do you think, mate? What do you think the opportunities that that Southam have that you think other other teams in the Hellenic don't have? So what do, what do we as a club offer to our players that we don't think is on offer to other clubs in our division? Massive budget. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, uh, all loaded. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say um, cash falling out of everywhere. No, um, I think the first thing is the facilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you've gone to some of the places the Hellenic and they horrific. are yeah horrific's a nice way of putting it and I like I love the Hellenic um, but some of the grounds really shouldn't have football I, played I just don't it. think you should ever play football within 15 yards of someone that's on a swing <laughs> <laughs> and we've done it five or six times um, <laughs> so yeah I think first of all the ground um, I'd like to think the atmosphere in that it's not a club where you turn up and play every week and just go through the motions when Brandon will tell you this when we're up against it in a game it's one of the worst places to be but I think that's a positive because everyone really wants to win and really wants to drive forward and we take every goal that goes in against us so personally yeah Um, and we demand a lot of ourselves don't we we're a very self-demanding team yeah, uh, and uh, to be honest, at some points that could be our downfall, is that I don't think many teams in our league do beat us. We tend to beat ourselves when we yeah, lose because we're just, um, just lunatic. I think that comes with being a very young side, mate. I think people forget yeah. that I think our average age is about 22, maybe 21, yeah. which is yeah. so young. For I know we're only, we play in step seven, so it's it's not a high... Let's, let's get it right. It's not a massive standard, but it's still... A big jump, isn't it, from youth football to to knowing how to grind a result out, how to how to look after the ball for the last ten when you're only one nil up. That's something that you don't learn until men's football, is it? You're not taught that when you're 17. It's all about let's keep the ball on the floor and do loads of nice movements and make football really pretty. No one really learns those fine arts of the game that that do go unnoticed and actually teach you how to win games of football as opposed to playing attractive football. Yeah, completely agree. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah. that's something we could definitely improve. I think that's something that Rich wants us to look at in the new well, season as well. You'd like to think that after sort of two years together now, maybe that will start to creep in a little bit more. But I think even if you look at half our team, they're still the right side of 20. It's, yeah. it's mm. ridiculous. Uh, we're mm-hmm. still so, so young. And I suppose that's quite exciting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. What's What's kind of the... The feeling at the club as far as and I'm gonna say changing room this week because I huh. I was told that I that locker room is not the right term. That's a very American <laughs> term. So I'll say changing room. Uh what, what's kind of that feeling in, in the changing room right now? You do have a lot of young players and it's gotta be exciting Lots. knowing that the last two seasons you've done very well, albeit maybe don't have as much to show for it as you would have liked because of the curtailing of the seasons and everything. But what's that feeling like? It's difficult to say at the moment because we start again tomorrow. But when yeah. we left it, when we left it last time, it was just a feeling of almost bitterness at the situation. I think we're quite sour at the fact that we are where we are, and I think it's sort of fair enough. Um, you can't lie; the change room can be can be a really really fun place to be. Um, but I think the the overall sort of mood when we turn up to football is that we just want to win more than anything else. Really, and the expectation um, is very much that we're going to win, isn't it? Without us, I don't think we're a cocky side. I genuinely don't. Is that um, is that putting pressure on, or do you think I, it's? Because we discussed think, this last week. You know, you get a target on your back, don't you, Cop? Sorry, you yeah. get a target on your back, don't you? When you're winning week in week out, people come to Southam to beat us. Mm. Yeah, I think I think the last season it, we were definitely. I mean, we only sort of played three three league games and a couple of cup games, but we were really guilty of it last year. Um, yeah, the first season, I think. I found some results the other day and we won in January. I think we scored like 54 goals and conceded twice. And this mm. season has been completely different. Obviously, it was a shortened season. but And people know us now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People know the way you play. People come not to lose. Uh, and and I think after about 20, 20, 25 minutes, when we're not one or two nil up and we in, in games this year have gone one, one, two nil down, we almost played not only against the other team, but against ourselves. Yeah, I get you, mate. I get you. Yeah. Rian's got a wicked question for you now. Oh, no. Um, it's, well, I'll, I'll say it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's gone off the screen, so you won't know what I'm talking about. But, um, 
No, what? I know. I know what you're talking about. I'm. Mean, I'm actually interested in this. Yeah. Yeah. Because so obviously, week. minus you, who do you think would be the best keeper at Southern? I know you want me to say you. No, I don't. <laughs> I think there are some expectations. So, I think yeah. being in goal suits me because I feel about three quarters of it. <laughs> Sit the fat kid in goal. <laughs> We'd have a list longer than our arm if we set the fat kids in goal. <laughs> You've got no friends in the James Woods, all right? I know. I was Which say. we won't be using. Thank you, COVID. <laughs> um, who do I think would be good in goal? Weirdly, I think Ricky Barbie would be good in goal. Why? Just uh, I don't know. Just look at him and just think. You've got it. Some he's, people have it. Yeah, some people I bet don't. he's got that that brain cell missing like you. He's a bit of a struggle. <laughs> I tell you, you wouldn't be good in goal. Would be chiddy. Uh, Just get chiddy. bored. Yeah. Try uh, and dribble for the team. team. But I tell you what, he likes wearing gloves, so maybe it is. He does maybe like wearing gloves. Actually. I've got about five pairs of his confiscated gloves down there because it's pathetic. <laughs> um, he's work gloves in the middle of August. <laughs> um, if we still had pencil, pencil would have been up there. Yeah, what a bloke, Andy Handley, um, what a guy. Yeah, Andy Handley, I think. Most of the players that are left would have been good in goal. Coombsy, because he's just lanky. Um, yeah. Uh, who, I, I think, to be honest, Brand probably would be you. Um, oh, there I've, it is. I've oh. seen you do. I've seen <laughs> you do some things in training, which um, which I would be proud of. Yeah. Well, yeah. Nice. Thank you, mate. Pay me to answer that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're going to do some some random questions. They okay. are going to be very random this week because I'm so looking random. at a list and we're just kind of going through them. We but... Googled random questions to <laughs> ask goalkeepers from Southern. There you go. Like, no. Big list, actually. 101. <laughs> um, all right. So first thing that comes to mind, basically. Uh, you can visit one planet. What would it be? Jupiter. Why is that? It's the biggest one. Okay. Yeah, and it's the like first it. one that came to my head, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what this round's about. You keep doing that. You feed from the front of that brain. Okay, so what is your uh, what if you could have any superpower? What would you have? I'd like to be able to fly. I know that's really basic. So basic. I'd just like to fly. I mean, what other one is there? Like, what else are we saying? Go invisible. I guess you could be invisible, but I just think that's a bit creepy, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what what your intentions are being invisible uh, maybe we should leave that one there but um, yeah exactly yeah yeah i, I guess creepy. yeah super strength maybe which would super be strength as an athlete but yeah. i like the flying one i think that's what i would yeah choose. nice oh, i didn't uh, know you saved them top shots. On, um, on fantastic four the old stretchy bloke that'd be quite useful playing football okay. <laughs> oh that's true you could be a last girl off the incredible yeah cool. <laughs> yeah um when you were a kid what did you say you wanted to be when you grew up Goalkeeper for Salmon. Uh, uh, not a recruiter. Um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be a footballer, and then I wanted to go and be an investment banker. Oh, okay. You've definitely got the brains for that. Yeah, Maybe that could I, be a, a park dream that you can keep hold of and pursue. Yeah, I might do. I might do. What do you think? What What is the first movie that made you lol, laugh out loud? Step Brothers. Great 100%. film, Step Brothers. Yeah. yeah, this is such this is such a big movie in this country. It's, it's, every, yeah. I feel everybody. It's definitely in English, about this. English. Anything thing. those two do turns to gold. Talladega Nights is probably my favourite film now, and it's the same Strong. two folks. Um, yeah, yeah, they're good. Step, they are good. Step Brothers definitely. What song do you most associate with your childhood? That's great a hard question. one, isn't it? It's a great question, though. Drops of Jupiter by Train. Oh, I love sing that it for song. us. I've never heard I love it. That oh, song. I, oh, Rian, you volunteered to sing it along. <laughs> God, <What>? no. <laughs> um, no, that's a great song. Yeah, it was the first album I ever bought. Was Train. I don't really listen to that, that sort of music anymore, but I, I, re- I just remember listening to that song on repeat and everyone being like, "What are you listening to?" Great. I like it. Great song. And so, last but not least, what living celebrity do you most identify with? There's probably, probably two answers to that, isn't there? I would like to think like Liam Gallagher. Um, Great guy. I think if I think if I'm honest, I'm probably like that bloke who was on Come Dine with Me. Well, <laughs> 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 uh, Grace and Decorum. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably That's that good. bloke. If he, if you can count his class. Uh, maybe Ben Foster actually, because I've started getting yes. into my cycling. The cycling GK. Yeah, massively into my cycling at the moment. So I'd say Ben Foster. That's happening. And you followed in his footsteps a little bit. You played at Warwick. Yeah, yeah. As obviously, I think our careers probably took slightly different paths. Um, but mm. 
All right, one more question. Um, and I, I'm actually going to ask you the same question, Brandon, because mostly mm-hmm. because I forgot to ask you last week. But <laughs> we're going to build a club playlist. We're going to put it on Spotify so everybody can have access to it, but maybe play it you know, after, after matches and things like that. You get to add one song to this playlist and nobody else in the team can complain about it, can say anything about it. It's, it's your one song on the playlist. What are you adding? It's a dangerous question for me. I think Brandon alluded to it in his podcast <laughs> last week. I do not listen to any of the music that anyone really listens to. Um, I think the best football song for me to add would be Club Foot by Kasabian. Tune. It is a tune. It yeah. gets you ready for football, that does. Yeah, I think it's a happy medium between the music that I listen to and football Funnily music. Funnily though, I'm going to join you on kind of like the semi-indie bands yeah. for a football song and mine is not 19 forever by the Cortinas. I don't think I've ever sung a song that loud with that much enthusiasm and it just it makes me want to love you. Yeah it's a great song. It's a proper song. Just got some tickets to see them again today actually. It's no like really weird you said that. Are they here um, in the park again? Uh no festival down south. So by the way that means I need to text Rich and tell him I'm missing a game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well he knows now. <laughs> well, you heard it if uh, there's an exclusive. Yeah. Also, those are those are two great additions. Uh, lastly, we're we're gonna kind of finish up here because uh, I know we're running out of time, but just want to give the opportunity to uh, kind of deliver a message to the supporters. Uh, I know that everybody's looking forward to getting back to Bobby Hancock's Park and just being able to watch you guys. Uh, what what do you have to say to everybody in preparation for all that? Up the Saints. No, um, I think I think probably uh, thank you for everyone that's been coming out in the last sort of couple of months prior to lockdown because we did notice an increased attendance especially in midweek games Um, and obviously now that the club is more transparent and some of the wrong people aren't involved with it anymore we want to get the town properly behind us I hope you don't really mind me saying that no Um, on, mate. but yeah I think the players are overwhelmingly really want the town behind them so there's a lot of a lot of people in the town just come come watch your local team and the the young lad football hooligans keep coming Get some oh, yeah. flags. The black Get dog, some the beer black down you. Yeah. yeah, the black dog lads <laughs> need to keep coming along and uh, giving us some grief. Yeah. Because um, we are all for it. Yeah, I do love them. Well, thank you so much, Coxie. I really appreciate you coming on and, and speaking with us. It's been so, so nice to, to hear about you and, and kind of how you got into all this and, and what we can expect from you uh, this year and, and um, next year to come as well. So we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, mate. See you tomorrow night. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow night. Thanks so much for having me. It's actually a bit of a, a different experience, but yeah, really, really enjoyed it. So thank you for having me. It's good, mate. All yeah, right, mate. appreciate it. And thank you to everybody else for, for listening to our podcast. Don't forget um, for episodes, announcements, videos, content, all of that. Follow us on social media. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. And TikTok. TikTok, Spotify, everywhere that you could have access to some kind of social media, we're there. So so jump on there and and find all of the Southam content that you can. Learn about Southam and uh, come to all the matches as well. And if you if you are listening to us on anything like YouTube or uh, Apple Podcasts or anything like that, uh, leave us a review, leave us a comment. We'd love to hear kind of what you guys want to hear next. Uh, and also those those reviews help us to kind of get in touch with with new listeners and and so people know what we're about and we're going to be putting some things on instagram story we want to hear what you want to hear so if you, if there's questions you want asked and uh, you want certain players being called out please um, reply to our instagram stories and we'll do our best to um, feed you with the information that you want absolutely all right until next time thank you guys for listening and we will see you then bye cheers guys <laughs>